Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, Amplify. Where our guest this evening is Dr. Stephen Post. We're talking about his book, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Uh, as we left, he was speaking with his mother on the phone about so many different things. He picked up a uh, a phone that was uh, ringing a pay phone, and uh, we we learn here about the non-local infinite mind through the story of a mad biker and his mother's premonition. And he learns that in saving himself and saving another, he saves himself. And he comes to believe that the mind is not derived from matter, but is something different, and that we are more connected than we are aware. And that when we hurt another, we also hurt ourselves. And he writes, consider those intuitive moments when you just, quote unquote, know something as if tapping into a higher level of knowledge. So, Steve, did you want to say more about that phone call with your mother? Well, that's really the essence of it. Yes. Uh, she had this premonition. Uh, I picked up that phone because I almost felt pushed toward toward that uh, toward the phone and 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 I, I I just said hello and it was my mother and she said thank god you're alive and and the the it was another one of those instances where time and space meant nothing because uh this infinite mind that we call the supreme being god and so forth uh, it, 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 it's beyond time. It's beyond space and place, and that's what I learned as a as a as a young kid uh, growing up uh, on my journey. And so the dream didn't reoccur after seventeen, but you felt you still had to follow it, and you decide that you want to help those like Harry. Harry was the young boy, young man on the Golden Gate Bridge that you were able to save, convince him about his life, that you had helped on the bridge, and he was determined, you're, you're determined, to treat everyone kindly. And you begin that by asking patients to openly share with one another the things they struggled with the most, were still grateful for, and hope for. What did you want to, uh, how did you want to help them through that process? Well, when I got back from the West Coast, I was living in Brooklyn Heights, 
and I needed a job. And, and I, I looked in the New York Post, and, and there was a one ad for someone to work in the Manhattan Kidney Dialysis Center. Now, those were old-fashioned dialysis machines. There were a lot of people uh, who came from relatively poor backgrounds, and they would be there uh, in the dialysis center. It was a big room. There were about 30 chairs, uh, you know, relaxing jerry chairs that were set up along the walls. And I became a dialysis technician. I realized very quickly, uh, even as I was putting needles in lines to get heparin and so forth set up, uh, I realized that if we did not treat these patients with kindness and be willing to have a gentle curiosity about their lives and their illness experience and what this all meant to them, that a lot of times they would vote with their feet and we just wouldn't see them coming back, which meant, of course, that they had passed away. So I uh, started really paying attention to relationships and empathic conversations. And I got a reputation for that uh, 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 in the dialysis center. It was a, it was a re- relatively well-known place run by a guy from Columbia named Norman Dean, um, and I would even actually there was one there was one amazing Christmas Eve, um, and uh, I was on the night shift. A lot of people were having blood pressure drops. There was a lot of moaning and groaning going on, and I was playing the little drummer boy on the tape player in the middle of the room on the black table, and um, I decided change the atmosphere by suddenly telling them my story about the dream, about taking dad's car, and they were completely mesmerized. I I, I didn't realize that this would be so astonishing for them, but I told them about everything. And there was this little old Jewish woman there, and she looked at me like I was really mischievous and kind of naughty. And she said, you know, you shouldn't have done that to your dad. And anyway, everybody laughed. And then I, I just, I, I, I talk with them a lot about this idea of, of being more connected than we know. And um, it turned out to be a beautiful even, uh, night. I actually sometimes would bring my classical guitar there and I'd play things like Alice's Restaurant and and uh, so forth. And, and, I, and I would go home in, in the early morning from that job uh, to the Clark Street exit uh, in Brooklyn Heights. Um, and uh, I would just feel so elated because somehow I realized that um, love heals, that, that when you get right down to it, um, love has a tremendous healing power. And especially for people with chronic illnesses who are under a lot of stress and have difficult treatments to go through, Love is the only thing that can sometimes help them survive, and and I spent my life kind of living that way. I, I you know, I, I and I and I've spent, I've been in medical schools, Chicago, Case Western, Stony Brook, uh, always uh, helping uh, patients and uh, teaching students and faculty techniques of empathic communication. So that's been one of my focuses in life, although not the only one. 
and you realize that what you really needed to do was to study spirituality and religion in their many forms across the globe and maybe later connected with science and speculation about the mm-hmm. nature of human reality. And uh, as yeah. you're going into this next phase of your life, you almost end up in Pittsburgh, but you went to Cleveland. So we're not going to hold that against you. Yeah. But uh, Well, I love Pittsburgh. <laughs> I know I, you do. I, I, I know you do. You know, and I, lo- I like the Steelers, although I like the Browns, too. I have sure. to be careful about that. Yeah, they, they but, won. hey, I mean, after – so so I, I worked in, in, in pediatric endocrinology for a couple of years at, at uh, Cornell New York Hospital. Then I went to Penn, and I studied immunology. I was in a doctoral program, and I quit mm-hmm. because the dream – was still nagging at me. I had a lot of interest in philosophy and theology, so I went where uh, where you go. I mean, there's sort of only one place. I went to the Divinity School of the University of Chicago, and that's a place where people like David Tracy and uh, Andrew Greeley, but also Mersha Eliade and even Joseph Campbell, all these great theological philosophical minds were there and I actually did my my doctorate there and I once sat down in the Swift Kick dining room or coffee shop in the bottom of Swift Hall at the at the U of Chicago with Mersha Eliade who'd written the great book on shamanism and Joseph Campbell the hero's journey and I told them about my dream I told them about the car and how it stopped at just the perfect time so that I would continue going to the West. And um, Eliade was amazed. Uh, 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 Campbell uh, said it was synchronicity. Eliade said uh, not luck. It was just, it was a beautiful thing to be able to tell these very sophisticated people about what had happened. Yes. And... um... You pray on March 28, 1996, you ask for the creation of an institute that would study the highest form of love in the universe, not flawed human love. And you believe that two miracles happened uh, five and 16 years later, um, writing that God always hears the right prayers, but they are fulfilled in divine time. And we first have to work really hard to inspire God's confidence in us, creating the conditions for divine action. Tell us a little bit about the, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. Yeah, well, it did come, did come about in answer to a prayer. And, and uh, so uh, along the journey, I'd met Sir John Templeton in about 1990, and we had done a lot of work on religion and health and gratitude and and forgiveness and such things, and I really loved him. He was a fantastic person. Um, so I'm sitting in my office in Case Western at the medical school. It's kind of an early June morning, and I get a fax from Sir John because he was he was about maybe 88 at the time. It was, this was the year 2000, and he did not email, uh, but he thought the fax was the greatest machine ever invented. And he could fax a lot, so he was faxing me all the time. I got a fax that morning. And said he was in Lyford Key in the Bahamas. He said, "We need to start an institute to study not human love, but the love that made humans." Okay, gather that. Uh, yes. 
so I said, it's a great, I responded. I said, Sir John, it's a great idea. What should we call it? And he said, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, because he'd written a little book called Pure Unlimited Love. And um, I had a moment of trepidation because I'm in a medical school and I'm surrounded by a lot of geneticists and I'm studying Alzheimer's and different things. <clears throat> so I faxed back Sir John. Maybe we should call it the Institute for the Study of Creative Altruism. Because, you know, Ron, altruism is a very sciencey kind of dry, biological term. Geneticists talk about it. And he facts back, no, I think unlimited love, up to $8.9 million. And I facts back very memorably, Sir John, I love that language. It jumps right off the page. And, you know, I realized he was 100% right because he wanted this to really be at the interface of the spirituality of unlimited love, that higher love that underlies this universe and that can invade our consciousness and, 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 and let us see where there was nothing but darkness. Um, that kind of love is real, and it's the core of most deep spiritual experience. So he wanted he wanted an institute that would connect with that and the sciences, and so that's that was the way to go, and it worked out beautifully, and the institute is is still going strong. I've always kept it a 501c3, and not let it fold into a university because when that happens, things get so secular, and you know it would turn into a a, a center for the study of. Uh, altruism and social work, which was not what Sir John wanted. And the definition of love that was uh, was uh, adopted by the Institute is when the happiness, security, and well-being of another feels as meaningful and real to us as our own, or perhaps more so, we love that person. That's right. And actually, that particular definition of love, um, um, I actually wrote a dissertation in Chicago on, on, on flourishing and agape love and how when we live in agape and caritas, we actually ourselves uh, have all kinds of internal benefits. But, but uh, I wanted a, 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 an idea of love that didn't rely a lot on you know, Greek and archaic languages and so uh, this actually I, uh, was borrowed in part from a psychiatrist in Chicago, uh, long since deceased, by the name of Harry Stack Sullivan. So that's it. When the happiness and security of another is as real to us as our own, so our own happiness and security is still in there, uh, we love that person. Um, it seems to be commonsensical. I mean, when I think about my relationship with my wife of 38 years or my kids or a patient I was visiting the other day and consulting uh, uh, with um, when I think about the deeply forgetful people with dementia, I spend a lot of time working with them. Uh, when you think about um, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, when you think about uh, so many um, uh, uh, individuals who feel a special calling, uh, that idea of love, just that somehow or another, the security and the 
happiness of another is as real and sometimes even more so uh, to you and meaningful to you than your own, uh, that's a pretty good definition. For the most part, you write, anger just gets us in trouble because we do and say things that we regret later. Never respond to anger with anger and your life will be better. The most destructive thing about anger is that is really blocks your ability to serve as a channel for the flow of love energies. The two just can't coexist in the body and soul simultaneously. And um, you speak about mm-hmm. the definition of hope as being open to good surprises. And as yeah. you've been saying throughout this program, our minds have an eternal side to them and a connection with spiritual things. Yeah, there are neurological studies. That, you know, the, the first place I'm aware of the idea of loving your neighbor uh, coming into literature is in uh, Deuteronomy. So it's do not seek vengeance or bear a grudge, but love your enemy as yourself. And what neuroscience says now is that when our brain circuitry is engaged with compassion, with the love of neighbor, it actually shuts off the pathways that are the foundation for bitterness, hostility, rage, rumination, and all those kinds of things that are so ultimately very destructive and stressful on our minds and bodies and our health. And so that statement from, I think it's First John, that perfect love casts out fear, that's actually scientifically true. It's yes. spiritually true also, but it's scientifically true as well. You uh, write in uh, episode 10 about uh, the golden rule and the cheerful giver. Um, give it, expecting absolutely nothing, anything in return. But the spiritual odds are that kindness will be reflected back by others. And at the right time and place, God will bring more blessings into our lives. And the boy's hypothesis, while synchronicity exists and operates unconditionally, because God cherishes us despite our imperfections, when we abide in kindness, we tend to see more good things flow our way. When we harm others, we harm ourselves. When we help others, we help ourselves. Things happen for a reason. There is more oneness than we know, isn't there? Yes, there is. And so many mystics, but also an artist like Norman Rockwell with that great image of the golden rule. Yes. You know, people have said, you know, when you when you spend your time, you know, I get up early in the morning, about five in the morning, I pray and meditate, thinking about all the people I'm going to meet over the course of the day, and I ask myself, what manifestation of love do they need? For some, it's forgiveness. For some, it's creativity. For some, it's trying to get them on the on the right road. Carefrontation, I, I, I call it. Uh, um, for some, it's compassion. For some, it's just a little bit of loyal listening because they feel betrayed by something in their life. So I'm always trying to forecast the, the, the manifestations of love that I want to bring into the foreground over the course of the day. Uh, and I believe if we if we just live that way, that God um, will be that much closer 
to us, and we will experience times of synchronicity um, that are really very profound. So that's actually um, true for me. I mean, I, 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 I can give many cases of how mm-hmm. wondrous things happen just because I try. To, I'm very flawed, you know, and sometimes I'll fall full-chested yes. on the horn because the guy in front of me stopped at a yellow light. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but right. but I, I, when, I, when I live according to the golden rule, uh, I think I come into this domain of spirit, and that's what all the great religions uh, have, right. have, have said. Hey, we're going to take our, our final break as we speak with uh, Dr. Stephen Post about his book God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, to our final segment with Dr. Stephen Post. The book is titled God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Consciousness, a Connectedness, Human Connectedness. And um, I'm only, I read over things, two or three or four sentences out of a large portion of the book. So we've hardly covered the whole book by any means. One example would be there, there are 10 lessons in the book on how to follow a dream. And we've talked about a couple of them, but the how to follow a dream lesson 10, at least I'll read part of it. The whole point of life is to be a cheerful giver. When we follow the golden rule, we may well be surprised by some beautiful moment of graceful synchronicity. God is the great cheerful giver, and we are made in that divine image. Help others, and we allow infinite mind to work more freely in our lives. Real results are sometimes demonstrated from the enemies one makes, which means that at some point in your life, you actually stood up for something. Thus began a lesson in using a hideous act for a redemptive purpose. And then just this final point before we get back to the interview, the children of spiritual light want to achieve oneness by overcoming boundaries and affirming our shared dignity and humanity, while the children of spiritual darkness seek the oneness that comes from the extermination of whole communities, cultures, and even the artifacts of history. They are unable to acknowledge all humans as equals and human life as sacred and of infinite dignity despite our superficial differences. We all participate in and are all equally loved by a supreme being, an infinite mind. Steve, what does it mean to always want to see life as an expanding canvas? Oh, that's that's so important. Everybody, as the years pass by, will run into difficulties, uh, disappointments, uh, adversaries. Uh, I mean, think about uh, uh, Joseph betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt. Um, just one example of so many. Uh, and 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 if 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 we don't commit ourselves to expanding 
those very negative moments into something beautiful and positive, we are in real trouble. We're not really living in the world as as, as we know it. You know, I mean, David had to have uh, Goliath. Uh, that was a tough moment, but that was how he was introduced in his work, in his mission. Um, uh, there's Jesus and Judas. In other words, um, it, life to me is like a Jackson Pollock painting. Jackson Pollock would throw that blob of ugly paint down on the floor in the middle of a canvas, and it just looked like heck. But as he covered it over with beautiful flowing lines of bright colors and great energy and almost a kind of mystical uh, artistry, uh, it became something beautiful and now we pay you know hundreds of millions of dollars for a jackson pollock painting so i think that's the way life has to be uh, and um and there are many cases in in god and love on route 80 where i'm uh, you know i won't go into them but where i've i've had to um determine to make the, the the best out of a difficult situation and i do think that all of our of, of our adversaries ultimately um are our friends that they're 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 put in our path they're part of our journey because they can bring out the very best in us um uh, you know i've had people who have from time to time humiliated me even uh, you know a few people who because i run an institute for research on unlimited love and and you know they can be very materialistic and they don't think that any of this is even slightly plausible you know they can they can give me a hard time, but I'm mirthful and I'm I have a lightness of being and and I just see them as a challenge. They're the kinds of people who I think ultimately I want to I want to win over. When I came to Stony Brook, there's a little local paper called the Three Village Herald, and I, there, there was an article that some cub reporter had written on the front page: "Unlimited love comes to Stony Brook." I was completely <laughs> shocked by it. They yes. interviewed the dean here at the medical school <laughs> and my department chair. And the first day I was working, I came up the escalator in the medical school, and there was this guy at the top looking down at me. And I, and I, I looked up, and, and I said, sir, do I, do I know you? And he said, are you Dr. Post? And I said, yeah, I am. He said, have you come to save us? He, was looking, <laughs> he had an Eastern European accent. And I said, well... I'm not sure I can do that, sir, but I'm glad to be here and I'll do my best. And we got we, we turned out to be good friends. He was a violinist and uh and and he appreciated my musicality and we had a nice time and we're friends to this day. So you have to look at look at the uh everything that happens badly in life is an opportunity. It's a God-given opportunity uh to build something beautiful. You write, uh, all hope for religions lies not in flawed human love, but in the pure spiritual love that made humans, that existed before the Big Bang, beyond time, and that dwells within each of us in the form of an eternal soul. God is not about religion, other than that people benefit by coming together for worship to support their spirituality. Love for all humanity, without exception, is the only hope for humanity. The best way to accomplish this is by realizing we are equally one with the infinite mind. And so that's 
basically what we've been talking about uh, mm-hmm. all all evening as we begin to get to to, to summaries. And uh, there are six ways you write of how we are changed when we extend active love, how we are changed. And um, the first is we are freed from preoccupation with the self and its problems, overthinking and destructive emotions. Second, life becomes interesting. Selfishness is boring, but when we seek happiness, security, and well-being of another as an expression of creative love, the world becomes full and engaging. And I could go on. Say something about one or more of the of these six um, six ways of extending active love. Well, I, I you know the first one you mentioned really has to do with forgiveness. Uh, bad things happen to everybody in life, and sometimes we are betrayed by someone we trusted and 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 it can be very very challenging um and it's possible to go for years just dehumanizing and demonizing and cultivating this terrible bitterness toward that individual um and 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 that doesn't do anything to correct the situation um, that individual who we feel hurt us will be completely oblivious uh, to what we're going through, but we will certainly be ourselves undergoing protracted stress. Our stress hormones will be elevated. We will be more susceptible to depression and even uh, physical illnesses. Uh, we'll even be more susceptible to Alzheimer's if that is related to hippocampal atrophy, which it is. So I one small element to it. But um, in general, we hurt ourselves when we get into this spiral of hostility and rumination. So so the best way to get beyond that is to help others. This is what I found is, as a matter of experience, but it's also been demonstrated. Because when we help others, when we just for a couple of hours a week put our time and attention and kindness toward benefiting the people around us, then um, we forget about the self and we forget about the problems of the self. So we are freed. And over time, uh, things heal up. And I, I actually, I'm not, I, 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 I study AA, 12-step programs, quite a bit. And in AA, they have a fourth step where you're supposed to sit down with your sponsor and write a little reflection on how, in fact, maybe, just maybe, you could have handled the situation a little better. Maybe you could have said something a little differently that would have made things go more smoothly. So in other words, you can't just point the finger at others, but you also have to realize that, you know, we're, we're, we're part of it uh, ourselves as well. So I really believe that, that um, loving others, including forgiveness, is, is just fantastically healthy. Uh, for us. And loving third is loving others gives us a reason to develop our gifts. Fourth, we make... Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you look at all the, the literature on education and um, people do much better when they're not just studying for themselves, but for others. I've, I've been in medical schools. Like I said, you know, Chicago, Case, here. And the students who who always do the best and wind up getting all the national honors, they're not just 
smart, but they have some real reason to become great physicians. They're, you know, maybe, you know, somebody's brother or sister is on the autism spectrum, and so they want to become the best autism geneticists they can. Or maybe somebody's mother or father has had Alzheimer's, and so they want to become the finest geriatricians they possibly can. The people who really love and serve and are great, great clinicians, they're usually doing it um, because they're motivated by something beyond themselves, something that's more interesting than self, which is loving others. And... um... Fourth, we make deeper friendships. Our friends are no longer the people we just hang out with, but the ones with whom we share an exhilarating common cause and commitment. Fifth, loving others is a source of hope um, because as, as active agents, we use our strengths to make a difference in the lives of others, and we can therefore have greater confidence in shaping the future. Sixth, loving others is a source of joy. Joy, like hope, is not a mere innate disposition, but a virtue honed through bringing creative goodness to the life of the beloved. So these are all things that um, principles that are that are in the book that uh, we yeah. we don't have enough time to go through in the the next eight minutes of our program before before we end. But um, says so much about uh, the power of love that we still take for granted. Um, because love also heals, doesn't it, in many ways? Oh, love is the greatest healing force in in the universe. Uh, you know, um, so many illnesses, mental and physical, are traced back to adverse childhood experiences, to uh, experiences we have early in life, that were very destructive, uh, humiliating, uh, so that we could never really discover our talents and gifts and and express them in a in, in a creative fashion. So uh, hurt people hurt people, and uh, we need to love one another because we want to nurture those wonderful gifts and talents that everybody, without exception. As I believe every human being is a miracle of creation, a wonder of the universe, and we will get to peace when we have a society where we allow everybody to find their calling, their vocation, their flourishing in using their talents to contribute to the lives of others, and in the process, they themselves will flourish. Um, love heals. Imagine being ill and having a caring physician, nurse, social worker, or pastor, and there's a lot of that happening right now with the coronavirus. Uh, connect deeply with you at the level of effective empathy and compassionate love. You suddenly feel a renewed sense of significance, free at least for a short while, while anxiety, fear, anger, bitterness, despair, and other negative emotions that come with the territory of illness. Small is beautiful. The quality of your experience, or anyone's, as a patient is mostly the accumulation of just such small interactions that leave you feeling respected 
and cared about. These acts heal, and they are themselves a form of medical intervention and treatment. So there's a sense we're all physicians. We are all healers. Yes. We are all destined to be healers. Um, you know, I, I, I wish everybody would, would, would think of themselves in, in that way. You know, I once did a paper in a psychology journal with a few friends about how widows and widowers get through grief and bereavement a little quicker and in a more lasting fashion if, they, if they're helping others in their congregations or in their neighborhoods and so forth. And so the Society in New York of Widows and Widowers gave me a call and they asked me to come in and give a, give a talk at, a, at their annual meeting, which I did. And there was this guy in the back of the room and he was frantically waving his hand. It was a big ballroom. And I called on him and and, and he said, I don't care what you say. I don't do nothing for nothing. <laughs> yeah. So he was, you know, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, you know, people wouldn't say that. But, but you know, some people, they just get so sucked into this idea that, well, if it doesn't have a clear payoff, I'm a sucker. Um, that limits them because they can't realize that the the true benefits of living generously really aren't uh, tit-for-tat uh, reciprocal gains, but they're really internal because you're a lot better off in life when you're cultivating love than when you're cultivating all these destructive emotions, which are so so rampant right now in our society. You're right that love may be expressed in different ways, depending on the needs of those around us and on our own personality and strength. Each way of love constitutes a spoke on the wheel, and we are all called to align with and express some spokes more than others. And uh, I'm just uh, teasing our audience here. People who mm -hmm. have joined us this evening, um, something else that is covered in the book here, 10 Spokes of Ways of Giving and Loving, Celebrating, uh, Helping Others, Forgiveness we've talked about, Care Frontation, not Confrontation, Care Frontation, Mirth, Respect, Attentive listening, compassion, loyalty, and creativity used for noble purposes is the tool that allows unique personalized expression of our love for others. And, and so much more that you, you write uh, uh, about, about them. Just say the final question in the last couple minutes we have, the interpretation of the dream you have in episode 14 uh, and uh, you write, be grateful that there is a loving, infinite mind who wants to see each of us express the spirit of creative love for which purpose we were created. The key thing is to pray or meditate to be gratefully one with your peaceful soul and its connectivity with the infinite mind. Envision loving goals from this place within and work hard, trusting that there is a power for goodness that is higher than ourselves that will help you along the way so long as you let it. Sometimes it's enough just to remove the obstacles of bitterness and rumination that block the flow of God within us. And by getting these destructive emotions out of the way, we let God do things through us. And he certainly wants to do that, doesn't he? Yes, very, very much so. Uh, you know, we, we, we are, each one of us, uh, potential channels for 
this pure, unlimited love. And, you know, it can be surprising. I was sitting in my office here about five years ago. This young Korean-American student came in, and she was really struggling. She wanted to leave school. She just couldn't fit in. She came from an evangelical street church, if you will, in Queens. And this wasn't her culture, but she was brilliant. And I was, and I and I said to her, you know, um, email me, and we'll make an appointment for next week. And as I was sitting here in my chair, I felt this energy, and and I I, I turned around actually, and I saw nothing, but I felt intuitively that I need to drop everything and spend the afternoon, spend the next two hours just talking with her and counseling her, and that's exactly what I did. And I wound up mentoring him for a couple of years, and and she's now practicing successfully, and she's married and doing wonderfully well. And and I would never have given her that kind of attentiveness if I hadn't felt somehow this spiritual force. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, um, this is a reality to me. It's an absolute reality. And 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 we are, if we're open to it, the beneficiaries of an infinite mind, of pure unlimited love. Uh, and when we get to this point, and we will all, I think, get to this point, and I can say this in Jesus, uh, I believe that we are going to have a future that we could never even imagine. Our guest this evening has been Dr. Stephen Post. Title of the book, God and Love on Route 80. Um, thank you, Steve, for being with us. You've uh, opened a lot of minds and uh, refreshed ourselves as human beings and and have renewed a lot of hearts, and we thank you for doing that. Well, f- well Father Ron, you have been great, and and I love the way this happened because there was some synchronicity involved. Yes, there was. And you noticed it. You, don't, you know, you have to be a noticer. You have to... Right. You have to perceive these things and pick up on them and and you did that and that's why we're having such a nice time and i hope all your listeners as i say i love i love pittsburgh i used to get to pittsburgh about every six months from case western to the u pitt medical school and have a lot of friends at duquesne who do clinical ethics uh so i'm i'm a big fan of pittsburgh and and uh, uh know what a high quality place it is Thank you. I hope we get together again. God bless you and all your loved ones. Thank you, Father Ron, and to, right. to you and to all your listeners. Thank Bye-bye. you. Good night. So we've come to the end of the program, and uh, Steve writes, if you take one message from this book, it has to be this. Never give up on your dream and your soul. A soul is not just some mix of evolved human emotions and accumulated social influences. A soul is spiritual and eternal, a little bit of the infinite mind given us to sense God and experience oneness. So much in our culture pushes us away from spiritual focus on our inner being, and it is worth it to just leave things behind and strike out free whatever road you like, unless you have a lot of responsibilities. Have faith that God is already waiting for you down the road with wonderful surprises. Keep looking. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is.
tell someone now that you love him or her, pray for peace as if it depends on you alone, and come back next Sunday and amplify with us.